We'll open your Bible to Exodus chapter 20 if you have a Bible, and also Ephesians 4, uh, verses 25 through 5, 4. Uh, hopefully there's a reference to that somewhere on your, on your bulletin, if you didn't catch all that. Exodus 20 and Ephesians 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you there underneath the... Uh, the chairs right in front of you, the little black books there are the Bibles. It's uh, page 61 and 978 there. We're concluding our series on the Ten Commandments, uh, which we find in Exodus 20. Um, then in Exodus, or sorry, in Ephesians chapter 4, there is one of several references in the New Testament um, to some of the commandments and how they're, how, how the Apostle Paul, how Jesus himself thinks and talks about the commandments as they relate to the Christian life. And that's kind of been our, uh, sort of our practice here as we've gone through this, is to observe that. How, how does the New Testament talk about those commandments? So we'll look at both of those passages together today as we conclude our series on the Ten Commandments. And it is our practice to stand together as we read the scriptures. Would you join me in doing that? If you don't have a Bible that you're looking at, the words will be on the screen. Exodus 20 verses 15 and 17, and then from Ephesians 4. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall not steal. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 25 through 5, 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clam, uh, clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And thanks be to God for his word. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we do thank you for your word, Lord, that you have spoken into the human experience and not left us grasping about to wonder if there's a God and what is he like and what does he require of us. You've spoken in a word that is living and it is true, and we need it always to be life and truth to us. And you know, as we often acknowledge, Lord, you know every need in every heart in this room today and how you want this morning to speak to that 
need by your spirit. And only you are capable of doing that. To this many people all at once. But we, we know that you can and you will. And so we ask, Lord, that you would speak now your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory, for our good always. Would you move me out of the way, Lord, and use my voice as the instrument to communicate to your people today in Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. We're doing the, the eighth and 10th commandments together. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, we, if you were here, we had um, Celebrate Recovery sharing some testimonies when I was scheduled to do the eighth. And I said I would uh, do that uh, this week with the 10th commandment. And they say, quite plainly, as we just read, do not steal and do not covet. And um, as we've found, as we've gone through this study together, uh, on one hand, the commandments are quite unambiguous on the surface. I mean, they, they say quite plainly what's commanded. Uh, and yet, on the other hand, there's more there than meets the eye. Uh, Jesus made that clear, and uh, the, the New Testament writings in general make that clear, uh, that it goes down to what's the matter of the heart. The same is true here, but it's, it's, uh, it's a natural fit to talk about the 8th and the 10th commandments together, stealing and coveting, because the thief first covets his neighbor's property, and then he steals it. I mean, before you, before you steal it, you have some desire for it. And you know, by the way, that it's your neighbor's property and not your own that you're taking you were told not to take our neighbor's stuff and not to even desire his stuff, at least not an inordinate desire. I would say here um, that the, the Bible doesn't uh, say don't desire at all altogether uh, in the way that Buddhism does, if you're familiar with that. We're not, we're not trying to uh, put away all desire or whatever in our life. Um, that are, there are aspirations and longings that are good and healthy and so forth. But um, the inordinate desire um, is out of bounds, and the desire for our neighbor's things are out of bounds. In other words, there's two aspects to it, as we saw last week. There is the, the misplaced inordinate desire itself, and there's the potential harm that it does to our neighbor. It's we are coveting, but we're coveting our neighbor's stuff. We have something wrong to gain. He has something to lose. And both of those uh, issues are at play here. But essentially, the message is, don't look at the neighbor's house and say, you know, I really love their house. I wish our house was like that. Don't say in your heart, you know, the Smiths have a great family. Their kids never argue. I mean, that, that is not the whole story about the Smiths. I can promise you that is not the whole story. Or, you know, I wish we had their car, their boat, job, swimming pool, country club membership, or anything that is your neighbor's. Don't desire it. It makes sense. Uh, that the Ten Commandments end with um, a command against coveting because in a certain respect, it sums up all the others in the sense that um, a covetous heart 
can produce sins that violate every other commandment. It is out of, it is out of a covetous heart that all kinds of other sins and violations of the commandments are produced. And so we read in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, things like 1 Timothy 6.10, where Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Right? It's not money itself, but it's a love of money, coveting, that is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, Paul says. In James 4.2, it says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry, he says. The more you meditate on the desire for your neighbor's stuff, the more it will produce in you and me a range of other offenses. And so it begins, or I should say simultaneously with coveting, is a dissatisfaction with what you have already. Or to be sort of to, to make the point more clearly, it is to be dissatisfied with what God has given you already. That's really uh, the issue most immediately at hand. To, to covet simultaneously is to be dissatisfied with God has, has given you. And then there's a corresponding search for satisfaction in other things. I'm, I'm not sufficiently satisfied with what he's given me nor sufficiently satisfied with himself, but looking for satisfaction in things that I don't yet have. That's going on while you're coveting. If it remains there long enough, if you ruminate on that long enough, that, that may become ill wishes toward your neighbor. See, because if you long enough, that almost sounded like a pun. If you, if, if you uh, desire enough for long enough, If you can't have it, you don't want your neighbor to have it either. It becomes envy and sort of spiteful. These are not, by the way, always true of all people, but this is the product of covetousness. And then it can lead to lying, cheating, stealing, or killing in order to obtain the things you're pursuing. Which may sound outrageous, but you've probably seen news stories even from time to time. I mean, they're really exceptional news stories. But even of, of, a, of, a, of a husband that hires a hitman to kill his wife because he's got his heart set on another woman. Or a hitman to kill that woman's husband so he can have her. I mean, I've, I've heard both of those kind of news stories. It's, it's shocking and unbelievable. but it's real. So essentially, God brings us to the end of the Ten Commandments and says the real problem is in your heart, and it's a really big problem because it's so far-reaching. I mean, there are so many tentacles to it, so many things that my heart can desire inappropriately and excessively. And that's basically what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. I mean, this is, this is more or less the encounter he had with the rich young ruler. You may remember um, that story, and if you don't, I'll sort of summarize it for you. And if, you, if you've never uh, 
read that before, you find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But since this, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, uh, what must I do to have eternal life, to inherit, inherit, inherit eternal life? He says, well, you've heard the commandments. And he goes through the second table of law, you know, to honor your, he doesn't say it necessarily in, in the order that they're given, but honor your parents. Don't murder, don't commit adultery. Uh, don't bear false witness. Don't steal. And the rich young ruler says, all those things I've done since my youth. But if you notice, go, go back and read that yourself a time, uh, sometime. What, what Jesus does is he goes through the whole second table of the law except for the 10th commandment. He doesn't mention coveting. And the guy says, all these things I've done since my youth. Jesus says, ah, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have distribute to the poor and come follow me. Of course, the rich young ruler walks away sad because he has great possessions. He can't let go of that. The, the, the lesson there in that is not, the message for Christians to take away is not that everybody needs to sell all their possessions to give to the poor um, and sort of live a vow of poverty or whatever, but the message is whatever has hold of your heart that keeps you from uh, worshiping the king as what needs to be surrendered. But in other words, that what Jesus does for the rich young ruler is he brings him all the way to the end of the 10 commandments thinking he's done okay. And then the 10th commandment unlocks. There's so much there. For him, it's money because he had a lot of it. For some of it, it's money because we don't have any of it. And it can be any number of other things that has a hold of our heart. And so basically what God tries to show us here is that, that we arrive here and say, oh my goodness, I can't control all of that. What do I do? There's more there. I mean, there are more desires that I have. It's like whack-a-mole, you know? You think, you've, you think you've sort of conquered one and then another pops up. Lord, my heart is worse off then I realized it was, what do I do? Well, the, uh, the best way to control weeds in your lawn is by having a healthy lawn. I say that, I just said that as if I'm speaking with authority and I have absolutely no authority or expertise in the matter of lawn care, but I understand that that's true. In other words, that, uh, that the, the, the key to having uh, a weed-free lawn is a healthy lawn, healthy grass with deep roots. You know, so you, you spread grass seed, you fertilize it, and you water it so that it'll grow. A healthy grass will choke out many of the weeds that are there. If all you did was just try to pull weeds and, and spray weed killer, you couldn't weed fast enough or often enough to keep the weeds out. And if you did just really broadcast, you know, the spray or whatever, the, the best you would end up with is death and dustiness. Right, just a de you're, you're, you would have you would have a dead lawn. It'd be weed free, <laughs> but but dead. The remedy for a weedy lawn is to cultivate a healthy lawn. Now, that doesn't do everything to prevent weeds. Right, that's a it's a great metaphor for life and the spiritual life in particular, uh, because there's this sort of ongoing battle um, uh, of 
spiritual weed control in our lives, just like there is in your yard. It doesn't do everything, but it's the most important thing. Well, uh, similarly, I'm drawing sort of an analogy here. The, the real antidote to stealing and covetousness is not simply trying to refrain from stealing and coveting. And you may think you're doing okay with stealing, but coveting, I mean, that one nails all of us. It nails all of us. And so simply to try to refrain from stealing and coveting won't do the trick. Uh, The real antidote is to cultivate a heart of thankfulness, contentment, and generosity. And those three things uh, sort of function like three valves, if you will, that need to be open for, for living water to flow through us. I'm, and I'm using a really loose metaphor here, by the way, in my language, but to say that the life of Jesus flowing through us needs, needs valves to be open uh, for it to flow through, and, and that when they're closed off, it just doesn't flow. And thankfulness, contentment, and gratitude are really uh, three of the keys to that. So I want us to consider those three qualities um, in relation to the Eighth and Tenth Commandments Uh, so that we would first, in response to the 8th and 10th commandments, that our first response would be to be thankful. Be thankful. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 5 that we read here, um, in verses 3 and 4, in fact, before, uh, we'll look at verses 3 and 4 in a minute. One of the reasons I wanted to go here, um, in particular, what you you see, see something similar in Colossians chapter 3. The instruction to the church is, put off the old man, put on the new. Put off the old and put on the new. And that's kind of the way he's describing. It's not just a matter of suppress the evil in you, the sin in you, and sort of live a life of sin management but to put it to death and put life on and in yourself. Okay, so in verse, verses three and four, he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So two observations here. Number one, that covetous registers, covetousness registers on the scale with sexual immorality and impurity as things that ought not to be even named among the saints. Now that troubles me as a skilled coveter. <laughs> right? That, that covetousness ought not even be named among the saints. And the second thing is that rather than letting all of that vileness then come in our hearts, come out of our mouths in the way of filthy talk and so forth, we should express thanksgiving instead. Do you see the contrast set up there? Instead of immorality, impurity, covetousness, and all the filthy talk that proceeds from that, let your mouth express thanksgiving. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that we would be urged in Philippians 4, 6, which you don't need to turn to right now, but you may remember where Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That it is a, it is a really healthy discipline to make our requests with thanksgiving 
to accompany our request with thanksgiving. Because as I even uh, alluded to in my prayer earlier, we're always aware of our needs and what we would request of God. Uh, the, right, that's, that's longer than our Christmas list of the things that we would request of God. Uh, by the way, he's uh, willing and worthy and able to express them to. But when we thank him, we're reminded of how many needs he's already met. In other words, when we just deliberately say, I'm going to be thankful, I'm reminded of all the ways he's already met my needs, even before I utter requests for other needs, and puts in perspective how good he has been and continues to be for us. Gratitude is one of the best indicators that a disciple of Jesus is spiritually healthy and maturing. Um, it's an interesting little sort of anecdote. Um, in my years working in Christian schooling, I interacted with uh, some folks who would do from time to time spiritual climate assessments in Christian schools. Uh, at the request of a school, they would have a team of people who would go in and visit the school um, for them to try to assess how are we doing as a Christian school in informing students spiritually. And it, this was sort of like uh, accreditation teams do on accreditation visits, and they've got a variety of things they're looking for, people they'll talk to, evidences they'll look at, and so forth. But uh, this one guy said that one of the first things they would look for is evidence of gratitude in the culture of the school. How they see that expressed, how to, you know, in displayed in ways around the school. How do they hear it expressed um, even in just casual conversation. Gratitude, one of the best indicators of spiritual health. Be thankful is the first response to the commandment. Number two, be content. So resolve in your heart that however much God gives you, you can say, this is enough. Matter of fact, the truth is, we really ought to, we really ought to be able to say, I think, this is just slightly more than enough because generosity will come next. But we want to be able to say that this is enough. You don't have longings for more so that you're not disheartened like the kid who opens his Christmas gift and it's not the gift he was hoping for. And so rather than smiling and celebrating, um, there's disappointment sort of down, his, his face, you know, sort of falls downcast or whatever. We, we want to have no longings for more, but only just satisfaction with what God has provided us. Now, by the way, I'm stating that as aspirational and ideal, not that I'm the model of that, you see. But be content. The Westminster Larger Catechism I referenced last week which, which asks a series of, uh, you know, questions and answers as a, as a teaching tool um, and goes through the Ten Commandments really quite in depth. But it, it, it asks the questions, what does each commandment require and what does it forbid? It's quite succinct here on the Tenth Commandment, um, but I think really on point on this matter particular. So it asks, what does the Tenth Commandment require? And the answer is the Tenth Commandment requires that we be so completely satisfied with our own status in life and have such a proper, loving attitude toward others that we are naturally inclined to wish the best for them and all their possessions. That we have 
that we be so completely satisfied with our own status in life and have such a proper loving attitude toward our neighbor that we're naturally inclined to wish the best for them and all their possessions. I don't covet my neighbor's stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm content with what I have. I wish him success and prosperity rather than scheming for a way I can get what he has. And asking what does it forbid, the, the answer the catechism gives, the 10th commandment forbids any dissatisfaction with what belongs to us, envy and greed at the success of others, and all improper desire for anything that belongs to someone else. It forbids dissatisfaction with what belongs to us, it forbids envy and grief at the success of others, and it forbids improper desire for anything that belongs to someone else. Uh, by the way, I, I always want to mention, uh, since many, maybe most, aren't familiar with uh, such things as a catechism, I don't refer to that um, as itself being authoritative in any way. All of those are footnoted with scripture references to support those, but it's just a summary of what the Bible teaches in that regard, pulling, pulling together some of these uh, passages in the New Testament and so forth. But you, you hear the issue uh, of the heart that one of those is satisfaction and dissatisfaction. Satisfaction with uh, my station and supply in life and refraining from uh, dissatisfaction. If I'm content uh, with what I have, I won't hope to find satisfaction in anything else, which is good because you won't find satisfaction in anything else. You, you will not find satisfaction, really lasting, deep satisfaction in the things of the world. Some of you are familiar with the term clickbait. Uh, if you're not, I'll uh, try to educate you a little bit. I don't know that I'm qualified to educate you. Uh, but if you don't know what that means, then I know slightly more than you do. So let me pretend uh, like I'm something of an authority. But that's just a word that refers to, uh, so if you're on the internet, there's like a link, sometimes on a video, uh, might be on an advertisement or an article. So it might be just a, a, a link with some text. It might be a picture or whatever. But, but the purpose of it is to try to attract your attention and entice you to click on the link to then navigate you to some other content that it wants you to view or read. Okay? And the other sort of notable feature of what's truly clickbait is when you arrive at said destination, you realize this is not what that, that headline suggested at least not exactly or entirely. You familiar with the concept? Clickbait. It is baiting you to click it, and then when you arrive there, you find out it lied to you, and you're disappointed. Okay, earthly things, worldly things are clickbait in this respect, that they, that they, they attack draw your attention, they attract your attention, entice you to think there's satisfaction to be found there, and it's never there. It's never there. Not in, again, not in any lasting way. There's fleeting, um, you know, temporal sort of satisfaction. But in terms of really thinking we're going to find our happiness there, if only I had blank. Whatever you would put in the blank Number one is probably an, an object of covetousness, or maybe. But number two, whatever you think it will deliver to you, it will not. It will not deliver satisfaction. It's, it's clickbait. 
Whatever thing you hope to find satisfaction in, you will not find it. So be content. Be thankful. Be content. And finally, be generous. Um, Ephesians 4.28, which uh, we read here too. I'll draw your attention back there. But it says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Don't steal, which is what the commandment says, right? Do not steal. The antidote to that, too, though, is work so that you may have something to give. Don't steal, work so that you may be generous. Generosity, ultimately, is sort of the end goal. When generosity ceases, I said that, you know, these three, thankfulness, contentment, and generosity sort of function like valves that need to stay open for for living water, so to speak, to flow through us. It, when generosity ceases, it's like the system backs up and shuts down. When we're, when we're unable to be generous, we'll find soon after there's sort of a buildup of discontentment. We can't let go of something as an expression of generosity that something matters more than we would like to admit. We're not actually as content as maybe we think or wish we were, not as thankful as we think or wish we were. So, so it's, it, it really is like the way, the way to keep gratitude and contentment flowing through me is to keep generosity flowing out of me. And, it, and then it cycles. It just cycles through me. But, but generosity has to keep whatever it is I, I want to be thankful for and I want to be content about. In order to remain there, um, I, have to, I have to let generosity flow out of me. That God pours in, God works in, and I work it out. Be thankful, be content, and be generous. You know, I suppose we could say that a heart that produces um, thankfulness and contentment and generosity is really a new heart that Jesus promised to give. He would take out a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Or that I should say God promised to give in Jesus. That was a, a prophecy about the new covenant that would come. That we need to have a renewed heart um, to love him, to love the things he loves. To love him more than we love the things of this world that we have. That we might be given new desires, um, new life, and new passions to pursue. Because as we reach the end of the Ten Commandments, we, uh, I think many of us find our heart to be something like the rich young rulers. Again, I, I think most of us don't qualify as rich per se. Come to think of it, some of us don't qualify as young uh, per se either, do we? Or even rulers. Like we, uh, we, we miss it on all accounts. But, um, but the similarity is there's something there that if we were to say, all these I've done from my youth, that Jesus would say, ah, but this. And there's something that has our heart too. And what we need to look for 
maybe in that thing, certainly beyond that thing, is what has God done for us already on all sides that we have to be thankful for? Uh, in what ways does that need to produce contentment within us and then give occasion and means for generosity to flow out of us? And it's a good, uh, it's a perfect season, I suppose, Sunday for that to be uh, the commandment that we give our meditation to uh, and the message that carries us into Thanksgiving. Be thankful, be content, be generous. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for all good things as we've already said. And, and Lord, even for this word, um, which always challenges us more than maybe we thought we would be challenged or maybe more than we wish we would be. But God, we, we thank you also that that does not condemn us, but it points us to one who was condemned on our behalf, to Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to grasp, did not consider all the glories of heaven and the Godhead something he would cling to, that he rightfully deserved to hold on to, but he made himself nothing. He let go of it and made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and then being found in human appearance. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore he is highly exalted and given a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we thank you that that is the gift we're pointed to, Lord, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So God, I pray that every one of us here, in whatever ways you've revealed to us, our own tendency toward ingratitude or discontentment or a lack of generosity, our own proneness to covet any number of things in this world, Lord, that that would point us to Jesus where we find an abundant supply of grace to help in time of need, the forgiveness for all of our sins, and the cleansing of a guilty conscience. Uh, Lord, would you just minister that to everyone according to our need and seal it for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.